the brother that was introducing me, I'll add this word. I surrendered to preach in 1953. Just before I came out of service, I had already talked to those counselors that deal with you when you're leaving active duty back into uh, uh, reserve status and was discussing going to Clemson College. Don't anybody holler about Clemson. And I was going to study architecture. God had been calling me to preach for years, but I kept saying, no, I want to do something else. But that last call, God made it clear to me that this is the last time I'll call you. I surrendered then. I didn't make it known until a few weeks later after I had returned home to reserve status out of the Navy. And so actually my full-time pastors were close to 40 years, and I have been doing supply work, interim work for the past 21 Although I've slowed down a good bit in the last few years due to age and health-wise, and my wife has a lot of problems with health. She's not here today. She was looking forward to being here, took all precautions that we could that she could be here today, but this morning she was not able to come. So we trust that you'll be praying for her. I will be checking on her after the service. I hope that I will be able to stay for lunch with you. If she is doing well, there are times when she cannot be left by herself. But uh, she is by herself this morning. She says, I'll be okay. But we're glad to be with you again. I thank you, uh, first of all, for the privilege of having served as your interim pastor. I had just been out of the full-time pastor for one month when I came here and then served, I think, almost a year. It was a pleasure, and I look forward to coming back. Some of the uh, homecomings you've had in the past. I had thought I would get to come too, but it just seemed like things didn't work out. And so when the brother called me and asked about coming about three weeks ago, I was delighted to accept the invitation and plan to be with you. So we're here today because every time I walk behind this sacred desk, I am absolutely convinced and believe that it is God's doing. Because when that made that surrender to him, I said, Lord, you open the doors and I will walk through them. And I'm very reluctant not to walk through a door that God opens. So we're here this morning to share with you. And I know that you look back at me and wonder, what's he going to say now? I'll tell you the truth. Me and the Lord's discussed that for the past three weeks. And sometime I'm noted for being long-winded. I'm always promised to be through in time for prayer meeting on Wednesday night. I'm laying my watch out here. I will try to not be too long. Of course, the fact that you start at 1030, I probably could get by with going to lunchtime, but I remember the story told of one one pastor said, I uh, just don't know what to say. And one little boy spoke up and said, well, whatever it is, make it quick. The ice cream's melting. (laughs) There are a few verses of scripture that I would like to read to you and share with you in the opening of our message this morning. I'm going to quote and use many scriptures throughout this message because that's always the way I go about it rather than trying to read them all at one time. But the scriptures that I want to share with you first, you will find that they are in the, I think it was going to put them on the screen if I, yeah, I think they're up there. It's from the Gospel of John and also the book of Matthew. The first verse that I will read is from the ninth chapter of John, verses four and five. I must work the works of him that sent me While it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Those are the words of Jesus. 
In the fifth chapter of Matthew, these words, ye are the light of the world. Notice that. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. In this verse of scripture, he said, ye are the light of the world. A city that is set upon a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. May we pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity and privilege to be with this fine church this morning to share what you have laid upon our heart from your word and to praise them for the work that they have done and to encourage them to continue that work. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The theme for our thoughts this morning is light. And if we wanted to have a topic, I would say keep the light on. As already been mentioned, you're in your 130, what, uh, 186 years, 1831 is when you was organized. So for 186 years... Westminster First has kept the light on. And so I want to encourage you to continue to keep the light on. I know that since I was here, there are a number of people that were here at that time that probably have moved on to other places. Some have gone to be with the Lord, and some of you are still here. But whatever the case may be, if God does not send his son again, you will continue to keep the light on. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Some time ago, there was an advertisement on television about a motel, Motel 6. You probably have heard it many times. It always closed with, we'll keep the light on. Those words, we'll keep the light on, come from the past days when light was a rarity. Long before there was electric lights, and of course, certainly in Jesus' day, there was oil lamps or candles, and so a light in the window was a guide and a beacon to the last person to come home that they could see from a distance the light in the window. And so it is that not only is a light a guide, but a light is also a warning. I don't know, some of you older ones like myself might remember in bygone days these little black pots about this big that had a a wick in it. The highway department put them out on the side of the road where there was construction or perhaps where there were potholes. And if they had them out there today, we could get down the road. But those little flambeau pots was there to warn of danger. So the light that you keep on is not only a guide to others, but it is a warning of danger to some. And so that's what this church is all about. That's what our work for the Lord is all about, is keeping the light on. As Jesus said, I am the light of the world. But he then adds another passage of scripture that when I am gone, you are the light of the world. And so that is the challenge that comes to us this morning. And of course, there's another verse of scripture in the third chapter of John, the 19th verse, in which it says, and this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world and men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds are evil. And so there is no question about the fact that this sinful world wants to put the light out. 
Because the world does not like light shown upon their sinful deeds. We have seen on the television in recent times whenever, well, like the storm, the lights go out. Or sometimes there are those riots that put the lights out. And what happens during the darkness? People begin to do sinful things, begin to steal, begin to break into stores under the cover of dark. No wonder the world loves darkness because their deeds are evil. And so it is that the world, the sinful world, wants to silence us as a church, as a lighthouse. I was reading just this past week, Franklin Graham, a booklet that he sends out. Well, he said, it's come to this decision. It comes from Billy Graham, and he also sends material too and has articles in it. I was amazed as I read a couple of things in that magazine that fits with this idea of keeping the light on. In Sudan, the Christian churches there are being persecuted severely. Their churches are being burned to the ground to get rid of them because they are hated and despised as Christians. And there are Christians today being put to death for no other reason than that they are Christians in Sudan. This article said that the Islamic government declared that all the churches, the Christian churches, had to ex- let their leadership be taken over by a so-called religious committee of the Islamic government. Now certainly we are terrified at that thought. But then again, I saw another article in this paper, in this magazine, that spoke of a high school football coach. Out west, I think it is somewhere. I'm not sure of the exact location, but the story is what I'm interested in. It said that after games, he would bow on his knee and pray. He had done that for years. No one complained. No one objected. He never coerced anyone to join him, asked no one to join him, although sometimes team members might. Sometimes even the opposing team might bow in prayer as well. But somebody completely outside the district that hates Christianity didn't like that and carried it to court. And the court ruled that it was unconstitutional for him to bow and pray. Although no one had objected, he'd been there for years, the school district got rid of him. They wanted to silence the light, put the light out. That's what we're faced today. I appreciate the reference to praying for our country because though we say horrified at Sudan having a committee to take over the leadership of the churches, Yet, in one way, we have a government that also has committees to take over our light. It's called courts. Well, I can't continue on with that. I must get to the main points that I have that I want to share with you. Actually, there are five. I know say all good sermons have three points and a poem. Well, I have more, more points than that, and I don't have a poem. And according to when I get into these, I may not finish them. I may have to just quit whenever the time runs out. But these five thoughts I want to leave with you that I think of as requirements for keeping the light on. Those requirements I know are already in effect among you and others, but we need to be reminded sometime of the basics, what it's all about to keep the light on. The first one that I want to speak of is conversion. You cannot be a light for Jesus Christ 
until you become a disciple of Jesus Christ, until you repent of your sins and accept him as your personal savior. And conversion is something that sometimes we take lightly. And we think of it as just saying a few magic words and that's all that's required. It's only in more recent years of my ministry that I have become more and more convinced and say more about it in my retirement than I did in my pastorates. That we must realize there's more than saying just the words. Now, that's important. I'm not talking about being saved by words. Don't get me wrong. I'm going to emphasize that clearly. We are not saved by anything we do. We're saved by what Jesus Christ has done. He has paid the price for our sins on Calvary. As Ephesians 2.8 says... For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Salvation, eternal life, it is a gift. There's nothing you can do to earn it. You cannot have enough money to pay for it. I've often said, if I could put a price on salvation and say you could have it for $1,000, every member of the church would have been trying to save up money to get it. But if I offer them to them free, turn a deaf ear. So by grace are you saved. It is a gift of God. But the next verse after that is one that we often overlook. And it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. In other words, Our good works do not save us. Our good works give proof and evidence that we are saved. And we sometimes fall short of that. We're just content to say, okay, I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior, but never give any evidence of that. I hate to say, but I can really, I know in my my mind, I think of some encounters I've had with people who have told me that they were saved. That they knew they were going to heaven. But their life was a life filled with sin. No question about it. They followed a sinful lifestyle. And I believe with all my heart. That a person who accepts Jesus Christ as his personal savior. Will have a change in his lifestyle. You cannot continue in the old sinful pattern. The scripture says, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and thou shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved, Romans 10, 9. I want us to notice the first part, confess with thy mouth. Absolutely, it's important for us to confess, to say, yes, Jesus Christ died for me. I repent of my sins. I'm an unworthy sinner, and I will accept him as my Savior. We must have that Believing in a way that will reveal that I am a Christian. I could pause here for a moment and I shouldn't take time to do this. But sometimes just the Lord just lays it on my heart to do it. I want to illustrate what I mean from my own personal life. I'm not saying hold myself up as any bright light or standing for everybody to look at. But I just want to tell you two experiences I had in service. Two different stations, two different places... The fact that I tried to live as a Christian was taken note of by other people. 
In other words, if you live out a Christian life, people, you don't have to tell people you're a Christian. They're going to see it. Let me give you this very quickly. One occasion, of course, I was in the Navy. They're noted for a lot of things that they're not really guilty of. But some things, there are some things that, you know, you're saying uh, out drink a sailor, out cuss a cat a sailor. Okay, I don't know whether you've been in the Navy or not, but I didn't, I didn't, keep, I didn't hear that. I didn't follow that. One day, I guess just to show off, I'd got disgusted with something that was going on. I'd been a certain place and had not got accomplished the attention that I wanted or thought to get what I wanted to do. And so I came back and in the back to the guy in the bunk next to me, I made a comment, used a couple of bad adjectives. I said, that's what I said and just walked out and left. He laughed. Now, of course, I knew if I'd have said that, I'd have been in big trouble. He knew that if I said that, I would be in big trouble. He went on to answer further. He said, you didn't say that because you don't use those words. He was right. I never used them again. I was just trying to be like the rest of the crowd. Thereafter, guys go to the servicemen's club. They sit there and order beer and drink beer by the pitcher fools. I ordered Coke. You know, I know sometimes we have a lot of peer pressure. But strangely enough, I was never pressured into doing what they were doing. They just accepted, hey, that's him. I went downtown with some guys go to a movie one Saturday afternoon. Four of us together. They went into a place that served beer. They all ordered beer. I ordered coffee. They were well through with the beer before I got to coffee because they had to go make it. After I was in on a station where I last was stationed on a naval base that trained pilots, I was a radio technician to keep those radios working. The guy that worked with me out on the line that we were assigned to, he came he said, I was just up in the hangar where the main office, main shop was at, he said, we were up there just talking about you. He said, we observe that you do not talk and use the language, some of the language we use. He said, we've decided that if you are religious, we won't use those words around you. So he said, are you religious? I said, I am a Christian. I try to live like a Christian. What I'm saying is people are going to see whether or not you are living up to what you profess, the light that you hold. So keep the light on. Therefore, if any man be in Christ Jesus, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. That's, uh, that's a long sermon within itself. Old things are passed away. You are a new creature. We are saved by the work that Jesus has done. I've just said that. We give proof of it, evidence of it by our actions. We let this light shine in our conduct. What we do is important in relationship to our relationship to the Lord. And the reason we can do this is he said, ye shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Used to have object lessons with my young people in the church I pastored. And I thought this morning to bring along an object to illustrate a point, and I didn't do it. I thought, well, maybe they'll think I'm being a little bit amateurs or something, but just imagine me holding a light bulb. 
We call it a light bulb when you hold it up like this, but it doesn't give light. Nobody can hold it in my hand till doomsday and it won't give light. What's it need? You've got to connect it to power. Put it in a lamp. That lamp is connected to the house current. The house current is connected to a great generating power plant. That's where the power to make it a light. Then it glows. So it is God, Jesus said, we shall receive power. Power to let the light shine. To the source of Another passage of scripture, verse of scripture that Jesus used that I use frequently. <clears throat> Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Think about that for a moment. My sheep, he's referring to his followers, his disciples. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. If you are not following the standard of Jesus, you better take a second look at whether or not you've turned the light on. Because if you're following Jesus, you're going to be walking in a different path. Like some of those people I mentioned a moment ago, their paths are not following Jesus because Jesus is not in front of them. They can't say we're following Jesus. But Jesus said, if you're my disciple, you're going to follow me. You, that is, you're going to adhere to my standards and my commandments, which I must hastily jump to my second point. And you say it's time to hush, and I've just got point two. Convictions. You've got to have some convictions. And that's one of the things that I think has gotten our world and our nation in the mess it's in now. We as Christian people have not stood up for our convictions, or we haven't had enough convictions to stand up. I don't know which way you want to put it. Among those convictions is this. There is only one God. I've run into the encounter. You have to have seen it in the paper. I believe it was down in Alabama when the judge was being told to take the Ten Commandments down out of the courthouse. He said these are simple standards that God has set. Someone said, which God? Which God? There's no multiple gods. There's no committee of gods. There's no multiple choice on gods. There is only one God. The true and living God. And this God that I'm talking about has revealed himself in Jesus Christ. Every other religion and every other God beside the true and living God is a man-made God, a man-made religion. Don't care who founded it. Founded it by men that are dead. Or sometimes cases women are founders of some of these religions. They're dead. Jesus Christ is alive. He is the only one that God said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And he is in the, at the right hand of the Father now, making intercession for us. Let me just give you a quick few verses of Scripture from the Old Testament. Isaiah. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, I am the last, and beside me there is no God. 
But our nation, our people, this world we live in wants to tell us that you're politically incorrect. You've got to admit and acknowledge and allow that there can be more gods than your God. Oh yes, people, got more gods than our God, but there's only one true living God. And that's, that's, that's him, the God who revealed himself, the creator of the universe, who revealed himself in Jesus Christ, and you can't do away with Jesus Christ. But that's why people want to put down Jesus, want to put down a Christian religion. If you want to destroy Christianity, you've got to get rid of Jesus. He was a live, living person. He wasn't somebody's imagination. He was a live, living person then and still is today. Jesus is the source of eternal life. And he said, no man cometh to the Father but by me. But go on in those verses of Scripture up in Isaiah. Notice again, he said, there is none that can deliver out of my hand. In other words, he was talking about how Israel had been delivered. He said, no false deity has ever delivered you. And he says, I will deliver you when you get rid of the false gods. That's spelled out there in some scriptures in Isaiah. I won't take time to read them all, but I got them printed right here in front of me. I must quickly state also our convictions must include some moral values. <clears throat> there are no absolute values apart from God. If, if we do not have a God that sets the standard, if we let each man set his own standard, you've got as many standards as you've got people, and you're going to make that standard to suit yourself. And so... We must have some convictions about moral standards that they, God, the Ten Commandments, basically are the, the guide and light of moral values. And political correctness and court rulings do not supersede God. Remember our Supreme Court here lately has been telling us, hey, you know, that God of yours is wrong. It's all right for men to marry men and women to marry women. All right to change from one sex to the other sex. All right to be homosexuals. That's what the courts tell us. But God doesn't agree with it. And someday we'll understand that fully. I must hasten through the next three points. Corporation. All right, we've got to be converted. We've got to have convictions. We have to cooperate. That's what you do. Oh, I've been amazed. I'm pleased to see that. Progress has been made since I was here. The expansion. It's just beautiful how you've enlarged the sanctuary. That could happen only by cooperation. Working together. Acts 2, 4 says, And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they were all with one accord in one place. And they continued daily in one accord. You must continue in accord with each other. Christian people must not be fussing and fighting and feuding among themselves. And sometimes that's true, that we do get into that. The fourth thing is compassion. You must love one another. Mark six thirty four, and Jesus, when he came out and saw much people, was moved with compassion toward them because they were as sheep not having a shepherd. Compassion. We must love one another. Back up there a moment ago, whenever I spoke about being new creatures, one of the things that when we become new creatures, we become sons of God. 
And we become sons of God, all of his children become brothers and sisters. We should love each other because we're brothers and sisters, because we're children of God. Compassion. That's the key mark. That's the thing. I think one of those articles I was reading in, the, in Billy Graham's material was that after the relief they had carried to some of these distant places where storms had hit them, they had gone there to help them, and they had been got the physical things that they need. They said, now we really believe there is a God because they saw in their life, in their actions, in their conduct that this is a people that has a love for people they don't know, people they aren't kin to, people that are strangers to them. What can motivate you to do such things except the love of God? John 1, 4 and 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. And the last thing I say in coming to a close, I say that a lot too near the end. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Keep the light burning. You're not, it's not burning in vain. God's word doesn't return unto him void. He said, be steadfast and unmovable. Don't be wishy-washy. I could use another illustration about the light switches. You know, you can go over to the wall, you can flip it up. It goes on, flip it down, it goes off. Sometimes that's the way our, our light shining for God is. We flip it up, we flip it off, flip it up and down. Stop being on and off. Be a light shining all the time. By the way you live, by what you believe, what you profess, what you show into the world, and what you believe about God's love for you. And so I would want to close our, my thoughts by saying that we must keep the light on. Not only you must keep it on, all of our churches must keep the light on. All of us as Christians must keep the light on in our life if we want people to see Jesus. And sometimes we're the only light some people are going to see. It's what they see in us. To be sure they're seeing Jesus in your life, in your conduct. And I think of that little childhood song. I think I heard it on the radio last night, TV or something. Matter of fact, Billy Graham was, was seen. Some of you all might have seen it. Billy Graham was, at one of his crusades, had asked it, uh, the two guys that lead their music and sing to join him in singing. And it was, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Put it under a bushel. And Billy Graham's part was, No. He said, Billy, do you know your part? That was his part. Put it under a bushel. No. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And back to that verse of Scripture in closing, we come to our invitation. Your pastor will be here at the front. He will lead the invitation however he feels led, and as long as he feels led until the ice cream melts if he wants to. Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Keep the light on. You've done an excellent job at keeping the light on. In the 21 years since I was here, you've kept the light on. And we trust that we will, our other churches are going to keep the light on and not let a world that hates Christianity because they love darkness, because their deeds are evil, let us keep the light on. May we stand for our prayer, and then Brother Owens will be here at the front. For our invitation, however he wishes to lead it. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us the time, the opportunity to share things from your word. 
about what it means to trust Christ as our Savior and then to let our lives, our actions, our conducts, our deeds, our love all be expressions of what you've done for us and be a light to a dark, sinful world. For in Jesus' name we pray, amen.